You're listening to Pimelo Mutine on SAFM. Thank you so much for staying with us. Uh, going on to um, other issues that I think we, we overlook every now and then when we are in the middle of what would be like a pandemic like we are right now. You know, the society still has its own problems. So we are talking to Boys and Girls Town. You may remember Boys and Girls Town. I remember, I definitely remember Boys and Girls Town when I was growing up. Um, they are saying, you know, let's remember that they exist. If we are having issues, um, they are here to help. Lee Loins, who is a CEO of Boys and Girls Town is joining us on the line. Thank you so much, Lee, for for talking to us this afternoon. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Pamela. Thanks for having me. So let's just recap on on what Boys and Girls Town is all about. Well, um, Pamela, uh, we used to be known as Boys Town um, in the olden days. And then in about 2004, we changed our name to Girls and Boys Town because we work with um, young people who've been, you know, children and adolescents who've been found in need of care through the children's court, um, and therefore not criminalised children, but children who've been abused, who've been hurt. Basically, children who experience life in such a way that it's, it breaks their heart, um, and uh, because they're faced with challenges that they should never have to be faced with as children, um, domestic abuse physical abuse and uh, sexual abuse um, uh, um, environments sometimes that they grow up in that are violent or gang-ridden. So, so very heartbreaking circumstances for them, and, and that is how they experience the world. And so our job is to ha- we have those children placed with us through the children's court, not criminalized in any way, yes. um, through the children's court uh, with us in our residential centers around the country. Mm-hmm. And we work with those children and those families to heal their relationships, to heal their hearts, to heal their pain, and to help them see the world in a way that, and experience the world and manage the world in a way that's going to be beneficial for them and the communities and societies in which they live will return to impact on and so on. And we've been doing that for the last 62 years, since yeah. 1958. Has, has COVID had a significant impact on, on what you're seeing? Yeah, it really has. Um, I think for its cheap as it's had, a, it's had a, an effect and an impact on everybody in the world, yes. I think. Um, and for us, certainly, it's ad- it initially added another whole layer of um, how we care for kids and families, how we heal kids and families in isolation, um, where we, you know, social distancing is so important now and all that sort of thing, where obviously a lot of our processes are always togetherness processes mm-hmm. and working in, in situ with families and children and so on. So it's impacted us in that way. And then also um, on practical levels. So, for example, our staff have been our essential services staff. So, girls and boys town staff have been at it from midnight, 26th of March, when we first experienced lockdown with our children, and so and contained on our campuses and in our homes and. Um, programs, and so we've had to look at things like how do we stimulate children um, and staff, uh, and keep things fresh and innovative and interesting and exciting and healing and growth orientated. Um, so stimulation, new ways to stimulate um, our children on campuses. The whole educational challenge because already emotionally 
children who experiencing extreme emotional stress and stress um, already struggle further with educational um, growth and development and that sort of thing. So we ha- we normally run remediated types programs, creative, educative type programs, and so on. And so with the removal of school and kids with us on a 24-7 basis, we've also had to look at how we um, extend that education and keep our children not just in line with what other schools, you know, what other peers in the community are doing that live in kind of safe homes and safe environments. And so how we close those gaps and keep our children up to speed so that they're competitive with their peers going forward Mm -hmm. and then able to obviously enrich their lives in terms of education and further education into the future. Do do you only receive now children from the courts or can can a a parent, a concerned parent, call you up and say, I've got a problem, could you intervene before we get to that stage where the courts have have been um, called to intervene? Yeah. Yeah. No, we don't at the moment take private placements. Mm -hmm. Um, It does need to be identified to be a child who needs removal from a family placement with us and healing of that child and that family in a very strength-based um, kind of way. So so that is how children come to us yes. at this point. And then, sorry, the other challenge, you asked me about COVID challenge, mm, mm. just the other COVID challenge that I've left out that's a, well, that's a, a massive challenge is the financial challenge. Yes. I think every single one of us in the community that or in South Africa um, in, and around the world know that COVID, the impact COVID has had on our pockets. You know, we've seen retrenchments, um, cuts of salaries, uh, people just, you know, not managing, not coping, not eating, um, hunger, that sort of thing. And so certainly our biggest COVID challenge at this point was our coming from the um, sort of economic downturn just before COVID anyway, mm. and then into this COVID situation where financially we we all being taxed and challenged and so so are we as an organization in terms of the services that we offer our children and the ongoing services to children and families and those at risk and and those experiencing these terrible threats to their safety of their lives um going forward and so um you know we found ourselves in a situation where financially um when we look at our um, income from the same time last year to now, we down on that income, for example. So, uh, uh, but but Lee, what what would have been your funding model? So, who would have been helping you with your finances? So, the, the interestingly, the security and safety of the organisation in terms of financial um, sustainability mm. over the sixty-two years mm. has actually come. The majority of that stability has come from, and sustainability has come from individual donors who, oh. long time ago, yeah, sure. interestingly, mm. signed debit orders so mm. that you know, because that way we also able to guarantee to children we can say we we can budget for and guarantee the play, the three meals a day, your snacks in between, your education, etc. Because you can anticipate mm. um, that income, etc. So interestingly, it's been the individual committed, loyal mm. donors that we've had who really believe in what we do, back what we do, support us through what we do mm. over the 62 years. And then obviously income from corporates mm. as well. But um, corporates often are in a position where they 
um, sustaining and maintaining um, their own business, yeah. first of all. And yeah. in, COVID, in COVID now, that yeah. is a real challenge. Yeah. And then also often their CSI allocation has been across a number of different um, NPOs and causes yeah. where the individual donor tends to sort of say, it's girls and boys sound that I'm committed to. It's girls and boys sound that I believe in um, and trust um, their success, the sort of integrity of the organization and so on. So, um, interestingly, that's always been our funding model. Sure. So, at the moment, you, you need a bit of help. We really do. We really do need a bit of help. I think what we found is that um, COVID, as I say, has added that whole extra layer to, to what we do and needing to educate kids differently, um, uh, work with families differently. So we're moving into more sort of remote um, therapeutic type work, training of staff to be able to do that, um, you know, all that sort of stuff. So, and then, and then with the downturn in the economy, the, you know, costs are going up. Um, the cost of everything goes up, but but our income is is under stress and strain, which we also understand because each individual person in this country is under stress and strain on a financial level as well. So it's not we don't feel unique in this, but mm. um, but but the support, you know, wherever anybody could support um, what we're doing to also extend that generosity to those who have you know to children who live have lived lives up to now. But we sometimes can't even imagine um, how threatening and stressful and unsafe it is. Have you taken in more children? We we have um, screened and assessed children that will come in the into our care now. Um, the the challenge that we've had is that unless an emergency placement lockdown has in, has required that that. There's very little movement, right? Yes, so I level yeah. when yeah. we're at level five and yes. level four lockdown, yeah. um, the state was requiring that wherever you were on, at midnight on the 26th of, of March, you stay. Stay there. So, yeah. yeah. So um, that hasn't been healthy for lots but, of people, uh, t- lots t- of children. But well, that is the way it was. Yeah. What does that mean for those children? Does it mean that they can't see their their loved ones? So so that that restriction, has that had a, a really negative impact on them? It's been, it's, it, again, it is another sort of, re, you know, another um, sort of reason for some of our children having their bro- experiencing broken hearts and families experiencing yep. broken hearts. So a lot, you know, because it's been a long time and um, since the 26th of March and there are many of our children who have not physically been able to touch, see, hug, um, their mm. parents because there've been these lockdown restrictions and so on. So and the parents as well. So it has been very difficult for a lot of our children and a lot of our families. And so we've we've started work. We started through the period working with um, doing sort of remote therapeutic interventions through cell phone, FaceTime type um, contacts, and so at least children and families could see each other and see that everybody was okay and look into the eyes across social media, you know, the media sort of options or the virtual options. Um, but it's not, it's not the same thing and it has been very difficult. Yeah. And so as the new sort of level phase in, we will look at um, um, ways that 
children and families can actually connect again physically because, um, you know, and that also requires that we train the families and the kids before they come into contact that you will need to keep your masks on, please, because you're coming from different environments, touching, hugging, you know, all that kind of thing. We'll have to monitor and um, teach to and educate and keep educating. Thank you so much for talking to us. Lee Loins is the CEO of Boys and Girls Town, and I'll give you the details in case you want to add your, I don't know, whatever it is that you can do to support Boys and Girls Town. They are in need at the moment. It would be really wonderful if you are able to support them. Two o'clock, let's go to Utsi Lusaku for the latest in SABC News.